You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined by Jason Yarusi with Seven Figure Multifamily. Jason, um, been keeping up with you and your wife online for years. Uh, super excited that uh, you decided to reach out and get on the show. Uh, I've got a ton of questions personally that I'd love to ask, and I know our, our listeners will get a ton of value as well. So welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited. Great energy out of the gate here, so I'm ready to rock. Awesome. Jason, can you tell your story for those of our listeners that aren't already familiar with uh, you and your wife's story? Um, just kind of bring us back from where it all started and what you guys are doing today. Yeah, sure. So Jason, you're I'm a multifamily investor, uh, live in Tennessee now, uh, grew up in the East uh, Coast, up in uh, New Jersey, lived in New York City for about 14 or 15 years. Uh, we invest in uh, BC multifamily assets. Uh, we have about 1,400 units that we've acquired since 2017, about 160 million in real estate. Uh, so it first started out is that um, actually go back, you know, almost, you know, 19, 20 years now, I, I end up meeting my wife in uh, New York City um, just by happenstance. I had a friend who actually um, met him just traveling, doing some work um, over in Europe. And when I came back, he said, hey, you should come over to this bar that I'm, I'm working at and do construction work. And then I bartended um, in during the summer, right? And it was an outdoor bar. So lo and behold, I walk out and I meet Peely, who ends up you know, later on about a year, you know, about a decade later, when I got her to look at me, becomes my wife. But at that time, she was running this, this crazy outdoor nightlife bar. And somehow I walked myself into a construction job. Right. And so we meet, we get together and, uh, at, at a couple of years later, but in the middle of that, she ends up moving to LA, you know, chasing some different dreams out there of different points for work. And I end up running this crazy bar and then she ends up coming back. Right. And so that's how we first had our meeting to get together. And that transitions pretty quickly in 2011, 2012, because as we're working there, this bar is doing great. It's grown about 25 times. This, this crazy nightlife bar that ends up becoming the number one uh, outside bar in New York city at the time. Right. Well, hurricane Sandy happens uh, horrible storm decimates a ton of, of homes, homeowners, hundreds of thousands of people outside of their homes. And this basically was a point where we made a decision because my dad has this business that he does construction and he does heavy construction where he lifts and moves buildings. He actually takes homes off their foundation, um, moves them for setback reasons, subdivision reasons, foundation settlement, or lifts them to hopefully prevent future flooding, get them basically FEMA compliant, cut down on their flood insurance. Well, yeah. he's doing 12 or 13 projects a year. To, that's just been his pace that he's been able to do based on the volume of, of course, the need for this work for the last couple of decades. Well, Hurricane Sandy happens and now his business overnight goes from, you know, a couple calls a week to thousands of calls a day. Thousands so of emails. A day. We, I'm, I'm in South Louisiana and we had yeah. letters go out to, I mean, tens of thousands of people. Hey, you got to, you got to either, either lift your house or, you know, correct. So we're very familiar with the concept yeah. down here. You sure are. Right. And so that same thing happened in Jersey um, issues with, with States as they always think they can do it better than, than the next state. Right. So everybody try, it's like a learning gap so that the education coming from the state wasn't good. So you had a bunch of homeowners just trying to figure it out. Right. And nobody lifts their home twice. Right. You lift your home, you know, it's not like, it's like you go out there and like paint your house and maybe you'll paint, you know, paint some rooms and you get it right. 
right? Most people have never seen this. They've never heard of it, right? So it's a big discovery part. Well, we move out. My, my brother's working for me at the time in New York City. Of course, Peely, at the time, is my girlfriend, later become my wife. We move out to help dad really just go out there and crush what was going on, help a lot of homeowners get home, uh, help a lot of people. We ended up doing about 2,500, 3,000 projects when we went out there because his business doing 12 to 13 projects a year. We're doing 300, 350 at the max in some of these years going forward. So just massive growth. And it was fun. But what really hit home with us is that we come where, you know, we're doing the bar business. I had actually owned, opened some restaurants in New York City, opened and sold a brewery in New York City. I, I was doing businesses that were requiring me to be in service, to be able to accomplish any task. And also, of course, to make money. Right. And the same thing leads you with construction. A lot of businesses out there is that, you know, if the doors aren't open, there's no revenue coming in, right? If you're not doing a construction work, there's nothing coming back to you. And Peely becomes pregnant with our first kiddo. And we said, well, man, if we go in this point, like, like when are we going to be able to hang out with the kids? Right. Cause we're, if there was 25 hours in a day, eight days a week, we, we could have used every moment because that's how busy it was. Right. That's how much energy was going. So we said, well, what, what else is there? Like we want to control our time. That was the piece always missing is that the time was running us. The clock was basically, we weren't in control of what we were doing with it. It was just, it was go time all the time, go time. Right. And there was no other gaps in the middle. So we were looking at what else could there be? And we found real estate just by what was in front of us. And we said, well, let's give it a try. And Peely pregnant at the time goes out and get her real estate license. And we start flipping homes. We start wholesaling. We start doing these other things that are now, of course, creating more revenue. But the piece that we missed here is, okay, we're very active in construction piece. And now we're very active in the real estate piece. So now we had no hours and now less hours than no hours. Yeah. Right. And so we're going, well, okay, our goal is let's get our time back. And what's happening? Well, we're, we're walking ourselves away from that goal. Okay. So now we have less time, right? So here we go. Something's missing and it happens for Peely to meet someone at a RIA event and that person is doing out-of-state rentals, right? It's like, oh, yeah, we're buying these rentals out of state. We have some teams out there working on them. And how is that a home moment? I was like, well, we've always had teams around us where we've been able to grow these businesses. You know, we had four or five employees when we started the, the bar in New York City. We had 250, 300 by the time we ended, right? So we same thing now here with the restaurants or the breweries or, you know, construction. Like you're building teams to help you to a goal. Well, if I can do that with real estate, I can help empower others where they can, they can do their superpower. They can be put in their best position here. Well, what would that look like? So we started buying these two, three, and four units out there putting people in charge to really go out there and get them renovated, get uh, tenants in there, have a property management company. And lo and behold, what happens? Well, here I am. I haven't done any, done any physical work. I haven't done anything, right? Mine's just setting up the process and checks start coming to me. And it was like, well, wow, look, look, look at this. And cool. But, and here's the huge but is that we, we got the glimpse of what is possible, but we, we understood that there was a, a downside to that too, right? So we're going to have a bunch of duplexes all over, you know, a thousand miles away. Logistically, it's going to be a nightmare, right? Because we're going to have all these teams that aren't really able to empower, right? It would be like if we had 50, you know, four seat restaurants in New York city or one 200 seat restaurant, like where, where are you going to have more impact? Right. So the same thing here with the, of course, uh, real estate who said, ah, oh, this is right, but it's not completely there yet. And I found large apartment investing. And that was a, a, that aha moment. Cause I was like, you, you can find these buildings 
and you can put together a business plan that makes them better because you're basically buying businesses and then you can help carry that out in a big way because you can afford staffs can afford other things. So we sold those two, uh, those couple smaller properties there and we went all in with large multifamily. And that was that evolution where we surround ourselves with other people that were doing it. Right. Who else is doing this? Like, how are they doing this? Like, cause it's, it's being done, right. You see all these buildings around, like, are they all being owned by reach or bigger parties? And you'll find that a lot of them are owned by partnerships or individual people. They've, they've structured in a way. So we saw that model, we replicated that model and we went from those two, three, two and three units up to a 94 unit. And that was our first acquisition back in, 2017. And that leads us to where we've now gotten to today, sitting here in 2022. Awesome. It's a great story. Thank you. Yeah. A lot, it's still, it's that, that straight line that everybody tells you they're looking for minus the, uh, the curve ball. If I'm sitting here in Tennessee, <laughs> I, I basically rerouted through Antarctica to get to, uh, get to wherever I, wherever I want to go here back in the States. Awesome. So what, what allowed you to go from those smaller properties to a, was it 94 unit was your first large multifamily? Mm -hmm. how, how did you structure that? Did you, I'm assuming you started raising capital and syndicated those projects? We probably syndicated about 70, 75% of our project now. And the others have been partnerships, right? And so we used syndication on the first one and it was a mindset change. It was saying, well, okay, do we go for a 10 unit? Cause that seems safe, but you look at it and say safe for like, well, is it safe or like, is it safer than a 90 unit or a hundred unit? Or is it not? Right. Cause if you're three units vacant on this, on a 10 unit, well, you're 70% occupied If you're three units vacant on, on the hundred unit, well, you're 97% occupied. Right. And so it was that conversation with, with Peely at first, just to explain it, just like, Hey, listen, it sounds crazier against the grain, but <laughs> the bigger you go, the better it is for you. And so when your mind is ready, right. And it's like when the, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. Right. Then we started finding all this information out there, understanding, asking people questions and saying, well, how are we going to make this happen? So we sourced out, dissected what kind of avatar property we wanted, what market we wanted to be into, how we wanted to structure it, who was going to be those team members, right? So who was going to be the property managers, the brokers, the insurance people, who are going to be all these people that are going to work with us to accomplish our goal. Right. And then we said, well, well, how are we going to buy these buildings? Well, we're going to do it with investors, right? We're, we're going to benefit from the economies of scale. So we have our avatar properties. So we start talking to our friends, our network, letting them know what we're doing. This is before, of course, getting a deal under contract. Cause that, 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 that clock ticks fast. Right. So we started talking to a lot of people to understand what are they doing to do this? And then telling people what we are doing, because it's a big learning curve. If people have just invested in the stock market, right. Well, they're going to say, well, you're, how are you buying these apartment buildings? I thought that was just for the bigger players. And they're also going to say, well, you were doing construction, you were doing restaurants and now you're doing real estate. So there, there was a, a learning curve for people to understand we're doing this. And then why we're doing this, why multifamily, why we're going to go after these properties. What is this going to mean? Right. So it was a big part. I mean, that's, that's most of what we do right in our seats is, is out there educating investors. Um, so it's funny that you'd mentioned that about the, the larger property being, you know, safer than the smaller. One. I was just at the bank like 30 minutes ago 
And I was sitting in the waiting room, waiting for one of my lenders to come out. And the teller would just happen to be sitting next to me. And she, she goes, well, what do you do? And I asked my, I said, well, I have a bunch of single family houses and duplexes around town. And then I've got these large multifamily properties in other States. And she goes, Ooh, she goes, is it a, does it make you nervous or is it a lot of work to have these large multifamilies in these other States? I was like, actually it makes me way less nervous and it's way less work than the single family houses and the duplexes I have down the street. And she was, she was like, why? So I kind of went in to explain. It's like, and then we, you know, with, with the, with the single families and the duplexes down the street, I'm chasing down tenants. I've got, you know, questionable property managers. I've got, you know, questionable contractors. When you can take advantage of the economies of scale in these large multifamilies, man, you've got like class act, top of the line, super professional property managers, super professional contractors, you know, you're in good hands. And to your point, from an occupancy standpoint, like something goes vacant, you know what I mean? Wow. You're at 98% now. So, um, so no, I, I definitely feel, feel that, um, you know, I, I say to my friends when they're like, well, I just want to kind of like, like talk to someone in New Jersey. Well, I just want to like, I want the property to be around me. And like, they'll just be like an investor. So I'm like, well, that's cool. But, but like, okay, why? Like worst case scenario, let's say, you know, worst case scenario, the building lights on fire, right? You know, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to call the fire department. Well, it, that's whether it's in New Jersey or it's in, you know, or it's in Nashville, right? It, you going to call the fire department, not run over there, throw buckets of water on the thing. Right. It's not like, like, what is that going to do? Are you going to drive? And like, if it's in an hour, are you going to drive by and see it? They're like, no, probably not. So what's, what's the, what is that feeling that you need? Right. And so, you know, so sometimes we see proximity or, or other points as comfort, right. Or even buying a small properties, right. Cause we think it's more comfortable because we, we haven't expanded our minds yet to understand that the possibilities are out there. And when you can, when you can let your mind take a moment to say, okay, am I just doing this because this is a story I'm going to tell myself, or is this truth? Most of the time it's a story you're telling yourself. Well, I definitely run into that a lot. I mean, that's, that's as common a question. Wow. I want something I can go touch. And I don't know what the demographics are like in New Jersey, but like I live in South Louisiana, right? We've got negative job growth. People are leaving negative population trend. We've got high crime. We've got high poverty. We've got low median household income. You know um, we've got very limited job diversity. So like, I always tell people, you know, if the oil industry goes bust, all of South Louisiana's economy turns into Detroit after the auto industry went overseas. You know what I mean? You've got people moving out of the state. All these all these factors that that us as large multifamily investors look for when we're looking for a market are um, none of those boxes are checked where I live. So I feel way more comfortable buying in Charlotte, North Carolina or Atlanta, Georgia, than I do in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You know, it's the same thing. I mean, like New Jersey, like, right. We, we potentially have, you know, a better option for appreciation when we're there. Right. It's potentially just seaborne, you know, coming off of New York city. However, taxes are higher infrastructure is old, buildings are old, insurance is going to be higher, higher price point to get in here. Your dollar is not going to go as far as you want your return on your dollar, right? So if you do buy a unit and say you buy a unit for 200,000, well, you might get a thousand dollar rent, or you can buy a unit here for a hundred thousand dollars and get 800 dollars rent, right? So it's not a, it's not a pound for pound, you know, price to rent, right? So there you have the, the pluses and minuses really to, to all markets, but you want to see where are more of the drivers that are important to me, right? And so that, that's a good trend to speak to what you just said to your investors, right? This is where I, I don't want my dollar sitting in cash. 
for a lot of reasons, but I also don't want them sitting in properties where I'm exposed. I'm exposed to so many things that are outside my control, right? I can't say, oh, oil industry, well, we're just going to bring in a bunch of different you know, sectors of jobs right now, right? You're going to be exposed to what's surrounding you. And if you're in a market that works for you, right? More power to you. You know, we didn't intend to just say like Nashville, we're going to come here because we need to be close to our properties, but it's a great market, ton of potential. So now I'm in a spot here where I can invest in my backyard for where for years I was up in New Jersey, where I just, I, I chose not to like, could I still invest in New Jersey? Is there still potential? Yeah. There people can invest anywhere or people in Louisiana who can go there and crush it. Yeah, they are, but it's a choice on the dynamics. You're bringing investors capital and you're having to be, you know, a safe Harbor for this money, put, put it to work in a way that you know, you can preserve that capital and you choose to do it in markets that you feel have more reasons right? Atlanta and Charlotte for that market to do well, right? So, so more of a positive opinion to the market than markets that, that potentially have more downside risk than you think, um, than, than you want to be exposed to. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to shift gears real quick and ask you, uh, the hot topic, I guess, for everybody lately, I tend to get all of my guests opinion on the subject. What do you think about the market? What do you think about the, the future of the market, the current state of the economy? Uh, you know, there's, there's all, there's everybody I talk to is it's, it's either going up or it's going down, you know? Yeah. And, and I kind of take the stance of, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. You know, my kind of strategy is around recession resistant investing. So what is your, what is your take about, you know, we're seeing interest rate hikes. We're, we're living in this crazy inflation. What does that mean for commercial real estate? And wh what do you see the next five years looking like? I mean, there's, there's use cases of all sides. So we can, we can just state what's actually out there. Right. So we had like what, 20, 25% of all the money printed, you know, in, in the U S with like the last year and a half. Right. So, so that, that says, right. A lot that there's a lot of money out there. So this year, your dollar sitting in your pocket right now are, are not, not in a good place, right. Putting them into hard assets. Great. Are, are a great place to be. When you look at what's out there, why are we seeing these things drive, right? Since 2007, we have actually not met the need for housing supply per year that's needed, right? So, so that's all the way back since 2007, we have not built enough supply to meet the demands. I think it's 2021 to 2030. Uh, we need an average about 1.55 million houses per year. So that puts us about, you say we need you know, 15, 16 million houses in, in the, through this decade here, we're on track to build 11 million. Uh, we each of these couple of years here in front of us, we're still not going to meet that supply mark based on, based on what the demand is right there until maybe potentially 2024, 2025. We have a ton of people still living at home that have chosen to live at home. I think on record, we have a 20 to 29 year olds on record. There's about 52% of them are, that are living at home right now, right? Living at home with their parents. And, and that's the greatest. The only other two points where it's been up in the forties, not no, never in the fifties was great depression, right? Uh, World War II. So you had like 42 and 48%. So you have all these people that are going to have to continue to go out there and, and live somewhere else. So you have this draw here where tight on the supply, heavy on demand. That's why you're seeing housing prices, housing prices go through the roof. That's why you're seeing rent demand go up, right? We had this pent up demands. So that puts us on a lot of parts. Now, interest rates, are they going to push the narrative? Yes. But I mean, the Fed, will they, will they walk themselves back? I don't know because they start doing this. Like what happens to inflation, right? They're, they're causing a lot of things here that like that that's already, um, it's set in motion a lot of other factors and it's, it's, they're kind of stuck where there's not a good decision right now. So values, will they drop off? I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know if values are going to hit the floor to that point because of just how limited we are in the supply, but will there be a cooling period? Yeah. And does the market have to change at a certain point? Yes, it always has, right? We're in a, we're in a longer cycle than we've ever been right now. Um, there's a lot of things that, that have pushed that narrative, but it, you, you always have a change in direction. And it's usually as uh, the, the more we see fully on board for it, the more we're surprised when it comes, even though the writing has been on the wall. So I, I see that interest rates will have this effect right now. We, we may have a point where they pushed an out too far, realized they've made a mistake, pulled themselves back. We'll, we'll see where they go. Right. It might be like whack-a-mole. However, you know, I can't predict the future. I can just say that right now there's a lot of reasons why multifamily real estate continue to sit in a good position. Uh, but we're, I don't think we'll have the amount of transactions we have. I think another point is that we had the most transactions on record last year. Um, for multifamily real estate, but a lot of that was coming over from 2020 for deals that couldn't get done. Right. And so, um, Mark's a Miller chap. I, uh, I heard them speak and they had on average, they always have about like 4,500 listings online. And right now they only have like 3000, right? So you have a bunch of people who are out there, a ton of money out there, all this money printed trillions of dollars. Like, like I need to go somewhere with my money and there's less listings to go after. And so that's another part you're seeing with the aggressive nature of what's being brought up there. How are you, how are you finding supply at the moment? What does your acquisition process look like? Are you having to get more aggressive? Um, tell us a little bit about what that's been. Yeah. So yeah, honestly, we, we keep to our box of trying to buy one deal a quarter. Now that we're here locally in Nashville, we've been able to be more opportunistic with, with properties and, and projects that we, we want to be more close to the best, right? I didn't want to do a large multifamily investing, uh, or I'm sorry, large uh, multifamily development when I was in New Jersey, you know, out in Louisville or somewhere else, right? But now that we're here, We've been really targeting some development projects. We uh, we just picked up a uh, you know a fully entitled uh, ready to go seventy four townhome uh, development site right here in my town. You know, it was, but it was literally it was right across the street from where my kids play soccer. So when it came out there, I was able to beat other parties to the narrative of getting that because I knew the area so well. So I acted in the first day and there was all first day, you know, we got it, got it wrapped up on a contract. There was, there was basically parties that came in days after us at a, at a much higher price point. Right. But it's because we had the potential to act. So speed plays a part, you know, aggressiveness plays a part, but really if you can put together, find focus and speed, it puts you in a good position to still find opportunities. Awesome. What advice do you have for any investors out there looking to get started in today's market? Looking at starting in today's market, like there's not going to be a good time, right? So there, there's, there's the, the best time is now, like, you're not going to wait it out and just say, I'm going to start there. Sure. You're going to miss it. Like none of us are that smart to say like, Hey, if I wait two years or something will go down or go up. Right. Because right now is always the best time, regardless of anything action out there. There's so much free, free advice. There's so much free things. Come here, listen, Sterling's doing these great podcasts for you. Come listen to his podcast on the radar, right? It's putting out a ton of great stuff. Listen to this educate, put a lot of information, but then act, right? The educate and then think about it. There's never accomplished anything. The education and act is where it's at. And the action can be, okay, make a step. Well, is there someone locally doing this? See if you can come learn what they're doing. Is there a meetup? You can go out there and see how other people are doing. Ask questions, be the one to ask the question that the other scared to do. So educate yourself, take an actionable step and then keep taking another one. If the first actionable step is a positive step, we'll take a bigger actionable step, which is the next positive step.
Yeah. Everybody told me in 2017, the market was about to crash. So I should just wait. And, uh, yep. I'm, I think my life would be a good bit different today if I was still waiting. <laughs> I know people are still sitting on the sidelines, you know, and guess what? Eventually they're going to be right. But, yeah. but it's five years, six years, seven years, eight years later. So. Awesome. So I want to hop to our radio round, uh, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Uh, it's just three questions for you. The first question is what's your favorite book? Uh, honestly, I, you always find something in the book. So I guess the book I'm reading right now is a right. 12 and a half by Gary Vee. Uh, so I've been picking up cool book. Right. And so you, uh, you look at what you find from each book. So I don't know if I have something I'm like, I'm going to jump back to it, but it's always, I'm finding value in the book I'm in. Yeah. A lot of times that's the answer. The book I'm reading right now, you know? Yeah. Um, well, cool. I'll check it out. What's your favorite quote? Oh man. We, we go back and forth. Let me see if, uh, if I, oh, I don't have my phone on. There was, um, there was a Maya Angelou quote we were looking at the other day about legacy right there. Let me think if there's a piece that comes in mind, honestly, the first thing that comes to my mind is not really a quote, but I guess it is a quote like uh, Jocko Willick said, discipline is freedom. Right. And I think that's always a good one. Yes. Right. Because we, we think that if we're disciplined to our approach, it limits our ability, but it also gives them all the freedom we want. And that, that was part of our steps unknowingly is that when we got disciplined that we were going to go all in for multifamily and let ourselves go with these other pieces you realize you have a hundred plates in your hand and, and you drop them and maybe only one or two really need to be picked up. And now what you do is you create guidance and, and for your day. So instead of there wasting, I think we get lost in a point where we don't realize all the time spent five minutes here, seven minutes here, figuring out that next step, figuring out this next part, figuring out this part. And then we say, well, we have no time. Well, it's because we haven't been disciplined in that white area of our calendar to say, here's my next actionable step instead of saying, well, here, here's my 14 actionable steps. Right. Yeah. So being disciplined with your approach leads you to the life you want. A lot of times, you know, what I don't hear people talk about enough is it's not time management. It's bandwidth management. I mean, I will find areas of the day in which I'm staring at my computer screen. I mean, for 30 minutes and not, not functioning. Yeah. You know I mean, so cutting out all those distractions and the things you subconsciously worry about and, you know, allows you to really focus and make the most out of that, that time. Cause I mean, you, you've seen enough Uber successful people. There's enough time. You just have to concentrate your bandwidth. Well, that's correct. I mean, if, if you got the rock and you got Oprah and all these people doing 7 trillion things in a day and we don't have time and I, you're, and I hear the narrative, Oh, they got people around them. So what, right. They, they could still be doing a bunch of stuff. Right. And not doing anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, what is speaking of doing a bunch of stuff? What is your favorite thing to do outside of work? Uh, hang out with kids and then work out. So it's, it's a, it's a plug play. I run a ton. Right. So, so it's, uh, it's pretty much. Don't you do, don't you do ultras? I do. I do. Yeah. I, I, I found that running is that good parallel to, yeah, I, I don't know if I like running or I am a runner. I just run. And I feel that that's been the, uh, a, a mile marker in my life was just choosing to do something repetitive, whether or not it was the ideal time. And running has been that part for me. Like I ran this morning. Did I want to run? No. Did I, you know, I'm, it, but it just, that that's what part of the process. So today I got up and ran then yeah. days on. 
Right. And you usually don't look back and say, Oh, I regret doing that. Just, yeah, I did it. Right. You, you ultimately regret not doing it. And then you leave yourself vulnerable to not being accountable for future things. Right. Cause the second you start letting yourself off the hook with everything, right. We're all in this space where like when you have parents and growing up, or you have these other points, like someone's trying to keep you accountable for something. Right. Like, you know, like, I don't know, like put socks on or something. Right. But like, like now you can just kind of go out there and do things. Cause no one's really watching or being like, everybody's so busy in themselves. They're not keeping you accountable. So you have to make the choice. Well, I need to be accountable, right? I need to be accountable today. That's the change right now is I need to be accountable to myself and I can't expect accountability of anyone else. If I can't first actually be accountable to me. Absolutely. Jason, where can our listeners get in touch with you, find out more about you, learn from you, invest with you? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me. Go over to yarusiholdings.com, Y-A-R-U-S-I holdings.com. Uh, you can find everything about investing with us, offerings, um, our mastermind, uh, seven-figure multifamily. You know, we have our events coming up June 2nd, 3rd, and 4th at the Opryland in Nashville, which is like, like an awesome place. Uh, multifamily Live, of course, all about multifamily, as you said there, but you can go to multifamilyliveevent.com uh, for tickets there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jason. I appreciate it. I look forward to uh, keeping up with you in your journey. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. <laughs>